Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host, and thank you for tuning in. Would like to welcome you and ask you to stay with us for uh, the whole program because this is a wonderful story today which we'd like to share with you from the book of Genesis. And we are talking about Joseph, the prince of Egypt. What a wonderful story. Just before that, I would like to welcome our panel. It's good to have you with us, uh, Ken. Thank you, Nick. It's always wonderful and a privilege to be here. And again, looking forward to this really, really intense, interesting story about Joseph. And Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Um, it's a real privilege to be here again. Brenton, good to have you joining this panel today. It's nice to be back, seeing I wasn't on last week, Nick. <laughs> but uh, this is a story that whenever I read it, it's it's one of those feel-good stories, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing it with our listeners today. Lija, thank you for being part of this too. Thank you so much. I feel very blessed. Will, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's This is a thrilling, thrilling story in uh, in the life of Joseph. Absolutely. And Len, also... Thank you for joining the panel. Well, with those exciting introductions, listeners, you must be sitting on the edge of your seats waiting to hear the discussion today. Len, maybe you are able to just bring us up to the speed. Well, listeners, um, we have a little review of the situation thus far before we start into the new material. Joseph. Joseph was the 11th son of his father in a large, dysfunctional pastoral family in Canaan. He was highly favoured by his father, but deeply resented by his 10 stepbrothers. While Joseph was only young, God revealed his future in twin parallel dreams. It seems Joseph had a keen sense of right and wrong, coupled with a strong sense of responsibility. At age 17, due to a bizarre set of events, Joseph was exiled from his family and was enslaved in the home of a high-ranking Egyptian military officer. The Bible records that everything under Joseph's hand prospered because the Lord was with him. After 10 years of diligent service, Joseph became the victim of injustice and was imprisoned because of his unwillingness to compromise his principles. While in prison, his leadership qualities, diligent service, sense of duty and unswerving faithfulness to God was again exhibited. A turning point in his life came when two government officials were imprisoned because of a suspected assassination attempt on the king's life. Both the royal butler and baker had dreams about which God revealed to Joseph the correct interpretations. Excitingly, two years later, as we'll discuss today, Joseph underwent a meteoric rise in power and position in the land of Egypt. Joseph acknowledged that the Lord was with him and used him to carry out his plans that saved the lives of Joseph's own people and multiple thousands of others. So that's the introduction. And before we launch into the new material for today, Joe, would you lead us 
and the listeners in prayer. Father, Father, we pray that you will be with us as we consider and study these passages. Help us to learn from the lessons there for us, from Joseph's example in our dealings with others. Help us to let go of any negativity, bitterness, lingering anger, restore in each a heart of peace and forgiveness to those who may have wronged us. Help us to be peacemakers. Pour out your spirit on our minds and transform us to be more like Christ each day. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, uh, as we already pointed out, uh, this is a beautiful uh, story, and um, we can learn a lot of lessons and apply in our lives uh, today. Will, we thank you for uh, looking into this a bit more, and we'll ask you to lead us, to share with us a bit more, what you had prepared, and um, it's over to you. Please take us through. Thank you, Nick. Joseph had made certain that Pharaoh knows that he it was God, Elohim, and not Joseph himself, who showed the kings that uh, that God, what God was going to do. Pharaoh got the message because he then decided to appoint Joseph to be over the land of Egypt. In fact, listen to Pharaoh's words. He says, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Now, thanks to God, Joseph goes from being a slave to a ruler over Potiphar's house, to ruler over a prison, and then ruler over all Egypt. This is a powerful story about how, even amid what looks like terrible circumstances, God's providences are revealed. Now, from Joseph's dream, Joseph has prophesied of plenty and then of drought. Now, what happens in Egypt now is the question. Ledger? Yes, from his dream, it was following the next year, seven years of abundance. And I would like to read Genesis chapter 41, verse 49. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. So I don't think we can imagine But from this adjective, immeasurable, it's like it's a measuring that is impossible to comprehend, like the number of the stars, like the grains of the sand of the beach. So this immeasurable was used here, like the vastness of the universe. So the abundance of those seven years was immeasurable. Well, it's interesting that um, these years of abundance, if you've been to Egypt, you understand that the whole lifeblood of Egypt, their agricultural economy is dependent upon, or was in those days, dependent upon the overflowing of the River Nile. So one would assume, or one could assume, that these seven years were years where the Nile overflowed, Because when you go to Egypt, you've got a strip of land, probably about five or six kilometres wide on each side of the river, 
which is really, really green due to the irrigation. And after that, the Sahara Desert starts. You can actually see the difference between the two when you're riding along in a boat on the River Nile. And I would say that this is what's happened here, is that the Nile has overflowed for seven years. Here you've got an example of how dependent a civilization is on the rains falling in Abyssinia or what we know as modern-day Ethiopia and melting and then going down the River Nile. So that, that's, that would explain the seven years of plenty. Is it would, have, would be a case of the Nile must have overflowed abundantly and thus provided them with the immeasurable amount of grain that uh, Lydia's been talking about. Yes, thank you, Brenton. Oh, part of the dream of, of uh, Pharaoh was that there would not only be this abundance, but man, now comes the drought that was prophesied in the dream. Uh, Ken, could you lead us through what happened there? Yes, the story is very well told in Genesis 41, 53 to 57, and I'd like to read that. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over the lands. So then Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt, and we read again in Genesis 42, 1-2, When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy us there, that we may, that we may live and not die. So here's a really interesting story that obviously Joseph and uh, his family are all in another land, and they're going to go down to Egypt. But I have food because I've heard there's plenty of it there. Even before we moving uh, further into this story, I'd like to point out that this young man, which was brought into Egypt as a slave, which faced quite a few difficulties there, uh, wrongly accused. But this young man, he didn't have any political agenda, so to speak to raise to power. This young man was concerned for the well-being of his neighbor. He was living in a foreign country. He could have had on his heart uh, lots of uh, judgment and the way he was treated in that country. But he shows us here the character he has, the relationship he has with his God, And he is interested for the well-being of his neighbor. And God is not putting that aside. God is giving to Joseph more than he could ever dream. And he is put into into charge of this uh, big country. That's an amazing thing. And I believe that we should take that lesson, because we live in a time when everyone is just pushing and uh, around just to get to the top, just to um, 
to show that it's important. But this young man showed a totally different character in his humbleness and in his willingness of being of good use for everybody around, from the top to the bottom. Well, let's look at the um, what uh, Ken read in verse uh, 1 of chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I wonder if we've ever stopped to consider that verse. We skip over it pretty quickly. I think there's a sense of deja vu coming up here. They're looking at one another because they know, and Jacob doesn't know, that they sold their brother, Joseph, into Egypt, and it just might be that he might still be alive. And I think this thought has crossed their minds, and Jacob's saying, guys, what's going on? Look, there's grain in Egypt. Why don't you go down and get it? What's holding you back? Um, I think another lesson that can be drawn from this is fairly simple. The wages of sin are never good. This is 13 years later, but it's still very fresh in the mind of Jacob. It's very fresh in the mind of the sons, obviously. And we'll find as we get a little bit further along that's fresh in the mind of Joseph as well. Sin never pays. You've always got consequences for it. And the lingering effects, I think, are starting to be felt here. This is why they're looking at one another. And he's saying, well, why are you looking at one another? Get on your camels and go and get us some grain. Oh, yes, Brenton. There's a lot of things to think about. You know, I wondered whether Joseph could have, by inspiration, have known that he would meet his brothers again. Possible, yeah. Yeah, becomes the, yeah, begins the intrigue. What do you think, uh, Brenton? Let's, uh, let's take, let's take a look at what happens when they do go to Egypt. Rather than read it all, I'll summarize it, Will, if that's okay for uh, the purposes of time. His brothers do go down to Egypt with the exception of Benjamin. His father keeps him back. And it's an interesting comment in uh, verse three, I think it is, of chapter 42, where it says, Jacob says to himself, I've already lost one son. I'm not sending my other son of my favourite wife, lest some calamity befall him. Now, they go down to Egypt. They meet with Joseph. And what I find intriguing, Will, and panel is this. They never recognise Joseph. But I believe there are reasons for this. Egyptians were smooth-skinned. They would have had beards, all of them uh, being Jews, In fact, if you look even at pictures of Egyptian pharaohs, often they've got almost what seems to be a stuck-on goatee. Uh, When you see the hieroglyphics on their temples and on their uh, pyramids, you you see this type of stuff. But basically, um, Joseph spoke to them through an interpreter, so that's another reason why they didn't recognise him. But when they come to him, the first thing they do is bow with their faces to the ground. What do you think the first thing is that Joseph thought of? Because our, our text here in 42, 3 to 8 says that he recognised them, but they didn't recognise him. He would have immediately thought, aha, the dreams I had, the 12 sheaves bowing down to my sheaf and uh, the sun, moon and stars bowing down. He would have immediately thought of that, whereas they're immediately thinking only of the fact that they're running out of food and they need to go to the governor in order to get some food. Second point. He speaks to them harshly, it says in the, the text here. That's interesting. You remember in a previous study, 
we found out that his brothers never could say a good word to him. They spoke to him harshly. He's returning this in kind. I believe it's for a purpose. I don't believe it's vengeful, but I believe it's to test them. It's to test their, their character, to test their sincerity. Are they the same guys that sold him 13 years before? So these are just some of the, shall we say, the emotional things that are going on. But I imagine that Joseph would have been deeply moved when he saw these men coming in and bowing down before him. And uh, we'll find out a bit more about it as we go through our study today. Of course, Jehovah's, Joseph's family are back uh, in Canaan, and uh, it's pretty dry there, this drought. Oh. <laughs> and uh, about a week to travel from Egypt to where uh, Jacob was and all of the rest of the family. And uh, instead of just selling them the grain, Joseph uh, doesn't just allow them to go home straight away. Why does he still hold them in Egypt for a few days, Joe? Well, the Bible tells us that, just leading on from where Brenton finished, when they appeared before him to buy grain to take home, I believe that for a moment there, Joseph was taken by surprise by their appearance. It's not like he'd been waiting for them to come and he'd been, you know, waiting for them to come so that, you know, he will look forward to their humiliation. But when he did see them bowing before him, the Bible says that he remembered, that he remembered, but quickly regains his composure. And, and let's read from Genesis 42, nine, beginning at verse 9. Joseph remembered what he had dreamed about them, and said, you're spies. You've come here to find out where our country is weak. And, of course, they're saying, no, 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 sir, we aren't. We are just humble servants. We've come here to buy grain. We're honest men. And he says, um, no, this isn't so. You've come here to find out the weakness in the land. You know, you are spies. And then, of course, they explain, sir, we come from a family of 12 brothers. The youngest is still with our father. In Canaan, and one of our brothers is dead. But of course, Joseph maintains that they, he thinks that they're, they're spies. And he says, Well, I'm going to determine how, you know, whether you're speaking the truth. I'm going to send one of you to come back with the youngest brother, and the rest can stay here. And so then he throws them in under guard for three days, possibly prison. I don't think this was a lavish, um, you know, room. Now, the reason he does that, I believe, is he, I don't think he was still, he wasn't still angry. He wasn't seeking revenge. I believe that he had forgiven them long ago. We can tell mm. that from the naming of his children. He called uh, Manessa, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Mm. You know, he had forgiven them. He wouldn't have been able to be as blessed and successful had he clung on to bitterness. And so three days gave Joseph, I believe, time to think how best to contrive to see his youngest brother. I think he longed to see his, to see Benjamin. And ultimately he wanted to know if his brothers had changed or were they still volatile, mm. angry, mm. selfish? And uh, whether Benjamin, what kind of conditions was Benjamin living in? Were they awful to him like they were, you know, to um, himself? So this was one way to find out. He didn't want them to run off back to, you know, he wanted an opportunity to find out what was happening and hopefully see his father as well. It's interesting to consider the statement, what 
goes round comes around. Comes around. Mm. <laughs> and Joseph himself had spent quite a long time in prison. Now the brothers, who were really responsible in the long run for that, they are in prison. Mm. And it also, the sojourn in prison gives them time to think about their past and this false accusation that uh, was made against them. Of course, they made certain accusations against Joseph. Uh, They called him a dreamer. Well, I've heard of plenty of kids at school who've been dreamers who've turned out to be very successful people. So what goes round comes around. Again, I would like to take a lesson here, if it's possible, because, you know, we can go through the story. We can uh, read in the Bible and, um, yeah, just refer to, to the story. But, you know, I would like to apply in my life today how often we are tempted to just put a stigma on some people who wronged us or to turn our back to those people who wronged us. Here, Joseph is showing It's showing us all how we should deal with these sort of things. He's investigating, as it was mentioned here, to see if they are still in the same kind of character, if they are still the same people, or if God worked in their heart, in their life, for a change, for a possible change. Our biggest (laughs) problem today is that we are very judgmental, towards people, and we don't give that opportunity for people to express themselves, and we jump quickly to judgments, move away from them, stay away from them. That was not the case with Joseph, and I think this is a great lesson to learn, particularly in the times we live in and in the the Western uh, world, where people are very individualistic oriented, where people are very nice and even diplomatically keep you away. You know, while Joe was reading, here is Joseph listening to his brothers. <laughs> and they say, the youngest is still with our father and one of our brothers is dead. We must yeah. that Joseph knew nothing of their plan after he was sold. Of course, the uh, putting the blood on the cape or the coat, and he he had no idea what his father was thinking of where Joseph might be. This is there's a lot of intrigue here, but now the the brothers find themselves in the prison, and um, what do you think? What's going on now in the prison? During their time in prison, they obviously had time to reflect on different things, but of course, they had no idea it was Joseph they were dealing with. But because, of course, they're in a different country and a different land, different customs, I'm sure they really felt that their, the odds of surviving this were very good. And they started to question each other. And, of course, uh, Reuben spoke up, telling the brothers, I told you at the time not to harm Joseph, but you wouldn't listen. And now this has come back. We're being repaid for what we've done all that time ago. And I'm sure that the boys were in a, a terrible state and really worried. And all the time, Joseph had heard them speak and he knew what was going on. And he broke down many a time and he cried out of their sight because he knew what was going on and what was in their hearts. 
but he still wanted to test them. So he had Simeon taken out and tied up in front of them. And of course, they wondered what was going on. Was he gone? Has he been taken away to be executed? They had no idea what was going on. So they're really, really worried. And that's where they ended up at the time being. It seems that Simeon was uh, one of the ringleaders in his, um, shall we say, fate in being um, given over to the Ishmaelite traders to take to Egypt. So I don't know whether at this stage there is any thinking going on amongst these 10 boys or these 10 men, they would have been men, as to, um, oh, Simeon's the one that's being kept back here. And as we progress in our story, we'll find a few more things. But you would think that um, things are starting to um, not unravel, but things are starting to become a little clearer. And um, the, Simeon, we are told, was definitely one of the cruelest. We have the story um, of Dinah and um, uh, Shechem in a previous chapter, and Simeon was one of the ringleaders in that. I think, um, Will, that... Um, once again, sin doesn't pay. And uh, Simeon, who was um, being held back, would have had to wait till his brothers came back. It would have given him a fair bit of time for reflection. Yeah. Yes, it would actually, Brenton, because this was not a day trip. No. So they would have been, they would have loaded up their donkeys. Mm-hmm. and camels and they would have trekked i don't know how far away they would have taken a while to finish that corn because they wouldn't have just bought a week or two supply so it might have been even six months that simeon yeah. languished in prison sort of situation so it would have been um, a lot of time for him to think about everything that he'd ever done in his life <laughs> i agree joe <laughs> i think also uh Leon brought up a very important point about what goes around comes around, and I find in life that is so true. But another important point I see in this story is that the brothers for uh, over 12 years have, shall we say, gotten away with this and everything's been running smoothly and they've maybe in a way forgotten it. But as we know in life, sin always catches you up. At some stage, it may not be the next week, the next month, the next year, but somewhere along the track, you are repaid in one way or another for what you do. And Ken, uh, what you just said that uh, prompted me just to re, uh, to mention that, you know, even though we may think that they got over it in these years, but by what they were saying to each other here in Egypt, saying that we are punished because what we have done to our mm. brother Joseph, you know, they obviously haven't forgot that they they continue for these years they were continuing living with that guilt if you like and probably the holy spirit i will say was continuing working in their heart to to remind them that's not all fine with what they have done now they didn't have an opportunity and this is the trick they didn't have an opportunity to come before joseph and say look we done wrong Please forgive us. They had to live with that. And now it was only that they need to give themselves to God fully. They, in that time, I believe they probably forever, they thought they may never see Joseph again. And how could they live with that sin, what they did to him? Um, Will, can I just say, 
that there is a reason as to why they're suffering for this. We don't know from Scripture whether they ever asked God's forgiveness for this. They certainly didn't speak to their father. Their father still doesn't know what's going on at this point in time. So no forgiveness has been sought. No forgiveness has been given. And, of course, the consequences of sin is that Satan is always good at reminding us constantly of our shortcomings. He's always on the track of the things that we've done and reminding us of what we've done. We know that we have a saviour who we can confess our sins to and seek forgiveness from. These men are going through unresolved guilt, and it's not till further in our story that anything starts to happen. So I think these are all some of the aspects that we're dealing with here, the emotional aspects of sin. That's right, Brenton. Well, they're given the opportunity to prove that they what they're saying is not a deception. And it's now been commanded that one brother stays in prison while the others go back to bring Benjamin, the youngest brother, to Egypt as proof. And the money that they paid for the grain is discovered in the sacks. And that caused them much distress as they would bear the added accusation of being thieves now. This would uh, be a strong deterrent, I believe, not to return to Egypt. And to make things worse, it was commanded that Benjamin be brought back to them. The question is, would Jacob allow the other, the only other son of his favoured wife, Rachel, to leave home into the unknown, especially after mourning the loss of their first son, Joseph? A time would pass, of course as Jacob wrestles with this decision, but what was his final response? Of course, they lived in such a distress all this time as they were eating the grain. <laughs> probably, as, as Joe said, probably we don't know, six months, a year, we don't know exactly because it's not mentioned. And uh, living through this unanswered questions, it was uh, a stress upon all of them inclusive their father. And uh, only when the grain was finished, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you, the little brother. Well, it's very interesting They set out on their journey back to Egypt with Benjamin this time. And I suppose word had got through to Joseph that these people were coming again. And he had made the condition previously on their previous visit. They need not come again unless they bring Benjamin. And so when word reached Joseph, I imagine his heart almost leapt within his chest because he was going to see his uh, little blood brother. And uh, I'm going to read to you a little from Genesis 43. I'm going to read from 15 to 25. And eventually they came to Joseph's palace, and they stood in front of Joseph, and he saw Benjamin. And what next? He said to the servant of his house, Take these men to my house. Slaughter an animal and cook it so they can eat with me at noon. And the servant did as he was told and took the brothers to Joseph's house. 
Now, <laughs> I can imagine here they were in the hands of this man of power and authority and he's taking them to his house. This is unheard of. Now, they didn't realise that at this stage Joseph was their brother. So on the way to Joseph's house or palace, I imagine, they got worried and started thinking, oh, we're being taken there because of the money that was put back in our sacks last time. He will arrest us, make us his slaves and take our donkeys. So when they arrived at Joseph's house, they said to the servant in charge, Sir, we came to Egypt once before to buy grain, but when we stopped for the night, we each found our grain sack, in our grain sacks the exact amount we paid. We have brought that money back together with enough money to buy more grain. We don't know who put the money in our sacks. So here they were avowing their honesty. It's all right, the servant replied. Don't worry. The God you and your father worship must have put the money there because I received your payment in full. Well, wonder how that servant was able to say the God you and your father worship. I think he must have also realized that Joseph worshipped this God. He yes. would have known, it would have spread throughout Egypt like a wildfire, that the God of Joseph revealed to Pharaoh the uh, revelation of his dream. So Joseph was considered not just a man of authority and power, but of special wisdom. And I say that word special wisdom because this uh, has something to deal with later on. Okay, they were taken to the house. They explained the situation. The servant said, don't worry. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And the servant took them into Joseph's house and gave them water to wash their feet. He also tended their donkeys. And the brothers got their gifts. These are the gifts that they brought from their homeland that would have been pistachio nuts and dried figs or something or other. They got their gifts ready to give to Joseph at noon since they heard that they were going to eat there. A dinner invitation. Wow. They must have, um, when they realised that they weren't being taken there to be arrested and made prisoners, thought something special is up, but they didn't know what. Len, you mentioned something that very important, that even the servants or all those in the household of Joseph, they knew quite a bit about uh, Joseph and his God. What I would like to say here is that for us today, again, because I like to draw lessons here, sometimes we, because of our positions, you know, or uh, jobs or uh, whatever we are involved in, we are keeping quiet for ourselves, our uh, spiritual affairs, if you like. And that's what Joseph shows here, that he was not doing that. Actually, he was proud of who he is, who he, where he comes from. Uh, and uh, it's a good lesson for us to learn, because uh, many times we can avoid, you know, the thing to share with people that what God can do for us and who's our God. Yes, in one of my work situations, all the staff of the place where I worked, uh, 
knew that I was a Christian and there were uh, plans to have certain events, uh, non-actual school events, but fundraising events and things like that on a Saturday morning. But you know what? They changed it. They changed it, I think, purely because of me. And I was grateful for that too. Mm, I think that's wonderful, Lee. I was glad that they respected my belief. Mm. In verses 26 to verse 34 of the same chapter that Lynn has been reading, we find several things mentioned. In verse 26, it mentions they bowed down before him to the ground. In verse 28, it says, your servant, uh, when he asked the question, how is this father of yours, the old man of which you speak? Oh, he's alive and well. And they prostrate themselves before him again. Now, there's two mentions here. He had two dreams. There's two mentions specifically here of them bowing down before him. I'm sure these things were very, very clear by now in Joseph's mind, even if not in theirs. Um But I would like to spend a little bit of time, Will, on verse 29, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. Now, Benjamin isn't eight or nine years of age. He's probably at least 20 years of age here. He asks, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And if I was in his situation, Will, I think I would have been deeply moved too. (laughs) It says he went to his chambers and he wept. He had to go into the inner chamber. In other words, out of the earshot of not only the 11 brothers, but the earshot probably of his servants as well. And after he wept, he composed himself and and came out again and spoke to them. But they've gone from being prisoners, as Joe mentioned, in a prison, to now being invited to a feast. Surely at some point in time, one would have started to ask the question, what is going on here? If you go down to verse 32, it talks about how they served Joseph by himself. Now, this is interesting. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians by themselves. Do you know the reason for that? The Egyptians considered that they were the elite of the ancient world. They did not associate with other people. In fact, they called other people barbarians and various other, shall we say, unfortunate names. Joseph was not an Egyptian. Uh, His wife was Asenath, the um, daughter of Potipharah, who was the priest of On. And uh, that's rather interesting because I believe Joseph was responsible for converting his wife. Joe mentioned earlier on the name of Manasseh, one of their two sons. The suggestion in there to me is that uh, she was deeply influenced by her husband's religion. But here, Joseph is not. He's an Asiatic. He's considered to be an Asiatic. He's not one of the elite. So he is eating by himself. The Egyptians are eating by themselves, and the brothers are eating by themselves. So you've got three tables, as it were, set in this particular setting. When it comes down to them being seated in order, well, surely the penny should have been starting to drop a little bit by now. They're all seated in order of their ages. And to make matters worse, um, well, perhaps worse, Benjamin gets served five times as much food as they do. Uh, I would have been saying to myself, what is going on? (laughs) Who is this guy? 
He seems to have an intimate knowledge of our family relationships. <laughs> and uh, once again, I see God's moving in all of this. So I, I think we're moving to a climax here of um, how how God is, is going to work through Joseph for the salvation of the folk. But that's uh, a little bit further on. Thanks, Will. They've had a great lunch now. Been oh, she would have been a good lunch. <laughs> and rejoices go back to, to Canaan, and they think they're going to tell their, their father a wonderful story. They've got a good supply of grain, but they don't even get far from the city when they're stopped. What on earth is going on here? Well, well, we see as they're leaving the city, they must have been in very good spirits that not only got uh, the family, but they've got plenty of food and, and gifts from this uh, leader of the uh, Egyptian people. When all of a sudden the chief steward comes up and stops them and says, what is this you've done? And, of course, they look at each other thinking, well, what, what on earth are you talking about? What, what have we done? And he says, Some, one of you has stolen a cup, Joseph's cup, uh, which is a really special cup. It's, uh, you know, solid gold and all this sort of thing, and it's very, very special. And it's missing from this house, and you guys are the only ones that's in it. So we have to check out all your baggage and see what's going on here. Well, of course, at this stage, the boys or the men, they're absolutely uh, going from feeling really great to thinking, what what on earth is happening here? This this is not true. This can't be. So anyway, to cut a long story short, they end up going back to uh, Joseph's place again. They go through all the sacks, and they find out that the golden cup is in Benjamin's sack. Well, at this stage, the the, the, the brothers, I think they're just about ready to, to cut each other's throat because they just can't believe what's happening because they said, if any of your servants are found to have it, he will die, and the rest of you will be slaves. So, of course, it dawns on them that they're now even in deeper trouble than they have been in the past. And, of course, the object is that um, uh, Joseph is is trying them again, and that's uh, the next part of the story is what's going on here, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Well, you could imagine... You could imagine how their hearts must have sank, their horror when this happened. Of all people, why Benjamin? There was nothing they could do. They couldn't just let Benjamin go back on his own. So they all returned to Egypt. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Now, they did this. They didn't come back claiming justice because the cup had been planted among their belongings, but they were pleading for mercy in genuine humility. Judah steps up and he takes the role of the intercessor. Mm. He isn't the eldest brother, um, but cannot be silent. We might remember it was Judah, Judah's idea to sell Joseph to the Midianite traders, the Ishmaelite traders. It was his idea. What a change in his character. And here he intercedes and he says, what can we say, my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Guilt, interesting. What guilt would that be? They were innocent of stealing the cup, but they were guilty of far greater things. And this was something that had weighed heavily on their hearts for so many years. He goes on, we are now my Lord's slaves. Judah essentially offers that they should all be slaves rather than return to Canaan without Benjamin and witness the grief and death of their aged father. 
Joseph, of course, replies, no, no, no need. Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Imagine, (coughs) in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. And thus Judah intercedes again. Mm-hmm. Judah goes on to remind Joseph of what had happened and how Joseph himself had told them they would he would only sell them corn if they had proof that they weren't lying, they weren't spies, by bringing their youngest brother as proof. And then when they had run out of food again and had to return to Egypt to buy more, how the father pled for them to go without him. And they had said to the father, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then he goes on. So now if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. What a change from the heartless, self-centered man. You know, we found, you know, remember going back, he said, we found this. Take a look. See if it's your son's robe. Mm. Is now offering to take, take the place of Benjamin, to be enslaved so that Benjamin might go free. Amazing. It was amazing. It was. <laughs> it is at this point that Joseph sees for himself the radical, drastic character change in Judah particularly Judah and his brothers that he had hoped to see and goes on to reveal his true identity. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. Okay, well, it's interesting. Why did Joseph put this cup or have the cup put in the sack of Benjamin? Was there anything particular about this cup? Yes, it was. This was a particular cup that... um, Uh, certain Egyptians used. It was called the cup of divination. Divination. And this cup was supposed to be a magical thing in order that whoever owned it could tell the future. And I think probably what Simeon said and Judah said, he probably realised he could not tell any lies here because Joseph would know Because in uh, chapter 44 and verse 15, Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? And then he said, Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Does this mean that Joseph was into the magic arts? I don't believe so. I think he was pulling the wool over their eyes, to be quite honest. But uh, he put the fear into them that whatever they said, he would know whether it's true or not. Hmm. And so Judah completely then opened up and told the truth. Will I see something very important here? This is one of the finest examples of intercessor, uh, as an intercessor in the whole of the Bible. 
In fact, Bible commentators have stated that there is no speech in the Bible that is greater than this because he's interceding on behalf of his younger brother. But we know that Jesus Christ came through the line of Judah. Now, when Christ left heaven, he came for a specific purpose. He came to rescue the one lost sheep. He came to to bring us back to God again. And I see a lot of significance in what Judah says. How can I go back to my father without my brother? It will kill him. Now, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can imagine Christ saying to his father, I am not coming back till I have redeemed these people. And uh, Judah is a type of Christ here, I believe, is it's a very strong metaphor for uh, Christ's intercessory role. When we stand one day soon in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus, he'll be able to point to us and say, Father, these are the ones that I've saved. These are the ones that uh, I interceded for. Yeah. Josh? I think also... But it's important to actually remember this wasn't just, this whole exercise wasn't a test of character of the brothers alone. This was also a test of Joseph's character from a position of power and extreme power. How would he treat his brothers who had wronged him so much from the past? So it's not just one way it goes. God is also testing Joseph to see whether he would be tempted to exact revenge, whether he would be mean and cold and hard, perhaps just as they deserved. But no, it proved that he had forgiven them, that he had put the past behind him. This uh, story is jam-packed full of lessons uh, for us all. We should identify with Joseph and uh, the sinful brothers. And I think that we should um, should be able to apply the lessons of forgiveness learned in our own lives. Joseph is moved and even overwhelmed by his emotions. Whereas he had previously been able to control himself, he is now not able to do so anymore. And what does the Bible narrative say from here onwards? Okay, well, we come now to the climax of this story. We've had a lot of suspense. We've had some turning points. Now the climax. Genesis 45, 1-4. Then Joseph could no longer control himself mm. before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph. That means no servants. When he made, him known, made himself known to his brothers, And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, not out of grief, but out of happiness. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They thought probably, now we'll cop it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And then this is what they would have loved to hear. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you 
a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Here Joseph acknowledged that all these things that he had to endure and suffer as a younger man was really because of the will of God. God had a plan and uh, I'm sure the brothers were so relieved and I think there was a lot of laughing and crying going on at that particular time. What a reunion. Mm. Reminds me too, there will be a great reunion when Jesus comes back again. Yes. When those who've been faithful and loved him will be joined with our God forever and ever. Oh, yes. When he said to them, I am Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Only one person. I would have known that, but Joseph himself. So they knew they were no longer dealing with Justice Herod here. You know, panel, there are probably lots of lessons to learn from this. Brenton? Nick, just, um, and uh, panel and uh, Will, just quickly on this one. One of the outstanding things that's appealed to me in this whole story is God was able to use Joseph, and Joe touched on it earlier on, about the fact that, um, Joseph's attitude also had changed, not just his brothers. Had Joseph been still vengeful and unforgiving, I seriously doubt whether God could have used him in the space and in the place that he had him in here. I believe it was necessary for Joseph to have, Joseph to have already forgiven his brothers so that God was able to use him. But uh, Len touched on a very good point. Twice in verse 5 and verse 7 of this chapter, he says, it was God who sent me here to save life, to save life. Once again, Joseph is a metaphor of Jesus Christ. What did God send his son here for? To save life. And I will ask the question again, uh, panel and listeners. Do you consider that you may be here just for that reason too, to contribute to the salvation of many? And probably we need to stop complaining for all our troubles and uh, suffering in this world, because this is for a short time. Jesus promised us that he will take us with him, where will not be any more crying and trouble and all those things. I believe it's a very good lesson to learn today. Agreed. Well, I, I've chosen five lessons I think that we can learn from this uh, story, and that is, firstly, trust in God no matter what happens in your life. Learn to forgive others that wrong you. Believe good can come out of evil or bad things that happen to you. Remember, God's time is not our time. We mm. must learn to wait on God. Yeah. And lastly, believe God is always with you no matter what comes upon you. One of the most beautiful experiences is still to come. What does Joseph have in mind for the reunion with his father and his family? And I think this is something we can look forward to next week. Uh, uh, Nick, mm. Lydia, would you pray for us? Yes, sure. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful story of Joseph narrated in the Bible in so many chapters for us since his childhood till his death. Father, throughout all the stages of his life, Joseph, a child, and later a man in which the Spirit of God was living, a man in which you delighted 
a man who lived according to your principles every step of the way, in every circumstance of his life, never abandoning his father in, in even the prison cell being thrown as innocent. Father, such a positive faith and complete throughout the generations to come after him, a true ambassador of yours, showing fidelity, truthfulness, gentleness. Father, we long for that completeness in you, the transformation of our character, trusting in you undoubtedly in every circumstance of our lives that we will go through. Father, please help us to be a Joseph of our times, a true ambassador of you, reflecting your beauty of character around us, no matter the circumstance, recognizing you the only one that is in charge of everything that takes place and being included in your plan. Father, we know that you are interested in the happiness of those who truly love you. And we know that you are having a full control of our lives. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lydia, for that uh, prayer. My dear friend, we really enjoy uh, being with you and share with you today, but we are inviting you to join us next time when we are kind of culminating, you know, uh, our study in the book of Genesis with Israel coming into Egypt. That will be a wonderful uh, time when we can learn about that reunion with Joseph and his father and the whole family together in Egypt. Please join us again. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.